This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to For the Shire, by the Shire. Each week, we speak to property and finance professionals working in and around the Sutherland Shire. Discover insider tips and tricks from the Shire's leading experts on how to get ahead in today's market. Introducing your host, Nathan Smith, the Director and Senior Mortgage Broker at the award-winning Birdie Wealth. Welcome back to another episode of For the Shire by the Shire. Today I'm joined by Lloyd Edge, who's the Director of Oz Property Professionals. He is the head buyer's agent there. Uh, They've had some great success over the last few years. Uh, This year they're actually finalists in the Real Estate Business Awards for both Buyer's Agent of the Year and Buyer's Agency of the Year. Previously, they were, in 2009, they were finalists in the uh, Real Estate Institute New South Wales Buyer's Agency of the Ward and Agency of the Ward. And uh, he's also the author of a book which was released this year called Positively Geared. Lloyd, welcome to the show. And I think good to be with you. You're uh, local here in the Shire, but um, your property journey has taken you all over the place. Tell me a little bit about your story and how you actually got into property. Uh, yeah, very interesting, I guess, because I wasn't just born with a silver spoon in my mouth or just getting into to property originally. Um, I was actually a teacher, so I, I went to university, I studied music, studied teaching, and uh, was a professional musician for a while and then a, and then a teacher. And it was actually when I was in my late 20s that I actually started to venture into the world of property. My first home uh, was actually, uh, it was a one-bedroom unit, which I really bought as a principal place of residence. And it was only a couple of years after that that I decided that I really wanted to try to get into investing because I realised that as a musician and a peripatetic teacher, which is essentially someone who wasn't employed full-time, that, uh, that I wasn't going to have much uh, in terms of uh, retirement income. I uh, didn't want to rely on the pension. I uh, wouldn't have much superannuation. So I wanted to actually set myself up uh, financially into the future. So that's how I got started going with, um, with investing. Before you even bought that first property, was there a, was there an interest in property, or did something spark along the way? There was no real interest in property at the time, other than the fact that I was paying quite a lot of rent, and rent was ongoing for quite a while. And I thought, oh, I better get on, yeah, better get on and sort of buy a property and try to um, you know, make things happen from that perspective. But I certainly didn't, uh, you know, have any sort of property education or mentors when I was really young. So I kind of started probably a little bit later than what I perhaps should have. So for you, then you saw property as a tool to help fund your retirement. Yeah, absolutely. So I did quite a bit of uh, studying and I realised that for me, property was a good vehicle. Uh, It's less volatile than, say, the stock market. So I sort of looked at shares and and things like that. But for me, property just made more sense. Uh, You know, it takes longer to buy a property, takes longer to sell a property. If you're buying in the right location, you know, people always need to live there. So things about that really made sense to me. And I thought, yeah, I could do something with with property that would actually set myself up better for retirement because uh, the way I was earning my income... Uh, I was not going to, you know, have a lot of money moving forward. So from a teacher across to the the owner of a buyer's agency, how did that transition take place? Okay, so that, I guess, developed over a a few years, Uh, but I was actually building up quite a strong portfolio while I was still a teacher. So I was building up a few properties uh, within Sydney, uh, and then I expanded outside Sydney to to other cities and to other states and and started looking at other ways to actually add value uh, to property. So it wasn't, for me, it just wasn't the buyer and hold approach. I ended up developing, so I was doing some duplexes and some renovations and things like that. For me, uh, the big aha moment was when I built my first duplex and I had it subdivided and I made twice as much equity from that uh, one subdivision that I was making 
the whole year as a teacher. So that the light bulb really went off in my head and I started to, uh, I guess, repeat that process. I set myself up financially while I was actually a teacher. I uh, ended up building a large enough portfolio that actually replaced my teaching income. So they went from my properties, uh, replaced uh, what I was earning from uh, as a teacher. During that period of time, I started to actually appear on a few uh, yeah, a few podcasts and uh, in a little bit of media because uh, of my property investment success. And I had a few people sort of coming to me wanting to ask um, for some advice and things. That's how I kind of got going. Uh, and then, uh, you know, eventually uh, one thing led to another. I got my real estate licenses and I transitioned out of teaching uh, into uh, into property and starting the buyer's agency full time because uh, that was really my passion. So I, I think combining the two passions, which was education and property, and to be able to do that together because these days I educate people on property. So I'm still a teacher from that perspective. So that teacher teacher traits and qualities have come across, maybe not putting people on detention as much anymore. Absolutely. What do you think is important for somebody around that education piece prior to them buying a property? So I think... People really need to uh, understand what they're doing. So education is so paramount. Uh, something that I really didn't have at first. I probably just jumped into buying property and made some mistakes along the way. You really need to invest in yourself. Uh, you really need to get good, solid advice. Uh, speak to some, seek out some mentors, or speak to people uh, that have done what you're trying to do. And whether that's a, a property investment advisor, or whether it's even a financial planner or a mortgage broker, uh, the, those people can give you some solid advice. And of course, an accountant, all sorts of people can give you advice. And you really need to understand the markets and what you're trying to achieve uh, before you jump in. Yeah, I think we've spoken in other episodes about building that core team around you and a team that you can trust. Sometimes I find there's too much information out there. That I mean, it's so easy to access information now online. How do we separate what information is in our best interest or what's best for our situation. Yeah, it's interesting, Nathan, you mentioned that team. Uh, in the book I wrote, Positively Geared, I've got a chapter called The Dream Team, uh, and that's I talk about exactly that, where we uh, talk about putting the best team around you, and, and that'll include uh, your, your mortgage broker, your accountant, your solicitor, and so on, uh, and making sure that they're understanding your uh, ultimate goals and uh, and helping you to get there. Uh, I think the, you know, the property industry is is full of, uh, you know, there's a lot of information and there's probably a lot of spookers out there that aren't necessarily uh, giving the right sort of uh, information or certainly information that's not right for the, uh, the strategy of the individual clients. So you really need to understand what you're trying to achieve and then, uh, then try to get that right sort of information uh, and, and understand, you know, where, what sort of markets you're buying and whether you should be buying a new property. Is a house and land package going to suit you or whether you should be buying an older property in an infill area? and understanding the differences because uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be saying, oh, you should buy this or you should buy that. But you need people that are on your side who are actually going to advise you, uh, I, I guess, you know, in a very transparent nature and independently. You know, so I guess, I guess getting advice from people who aren't actually trying to sell you a product is probably the best thing. So for those who haven't worked with a buyer's agent before, can you explain what your job is and what can you do that I can't just go and do myself? Yeah, so I guess essentially uh, the first thing that we really do is we sit down with a client and we look at what they're trying to achieve over the long term. So we look at 10 years, 15 years down the track, uh, you know, what, what they're trying to achieve. So that could be some kind of uh, lifestyle goals, financial independence. Maybe they want to pay off their dream home. They might want to put kids through private schools and so on. Uh, and then we reverse engineer a strategy and look at how they can actually achieve that using property as the vehicle and looking at a number of different sort of strategies. Now, whether that's buying a property in Sydney and you're going to hold it for, for growth or you're going to buy a property to renovate or you're going to do a subdivision 
and you're going to use that equity to be able to get into another deal. There's lots of different ways to to do that. So that's that's the very first step. Beyond that, uh, then as uh, you know, as a buyer's agent, we go out there and we actually source the uh, you know the right opportunities. We, we obviously have a lot of um, access, I guess, to real estate agents who have uh, properties that they haven't listed yet. So we can kind of get out there uh, and you know, find everything that's both on and off the market, and we sift through everything. So that you know we might look at forty or fifty properties for a client before we even present the first one or the first shortlist ones so it really comes down to finding the best things uh, that suit your uh, you know suit your criteria and and there's a lot of due diligence that goes into that so uh, you know if you're buying a property we want to make sure that there's not going to be a massive development that's going to be built across the road that's going to impact on your property or anything so we'll talk to town planners we'll talk to council uh, we'll even talk to to local um, shopkeepers and uh, and things like that uh, and then uh, you know we, we actually do a bit of reconnaissance so we'll go and sit out the property at different times of the day and, and all the things that generally people don't have the time to do uh, and then beyond that of course there's the ne- negotiations so we try to obviously put a lot of value into it with the negotiations and, and bidding and auction and then managing the whole uh, process uh, through to settlement which includes managing everyone that's on the team so I work closely with uh, the client's mortgage broker uh, with their accountant with their solicitor and so on uh, and then beyond that we also give them uh, up yeah six monthly um, market updates and portfolio health checks and advise when they might uh, be able to look at taking equity to move on to the next uh, deal if the, if they've got an investment strategy in place. So there's there's a you know a lot of stuff that we can do to assist them depending on what their criteria is. Is the strategy different if I'm looking to buy a home to live in compared to buying an investment property? Where do those two two yeah. styles of purchasing change? Absolutely. So if if a client comes to us and they were looking for a home to live in, then they'll just give us uh, a very strict brief of exactly what they want, and we. Uh, quite often, a client will come to us and they'll say, "Yeah, we want to, you know, we want to live in Janali, We want a three-bedroom home, and we want this and we want that." But once we really give them a brief and get them thinking, uh, we really get them to fill out a lot more than what they actually thought. So, if they want a, uh, something that you know they want I- I- induction in the kitchen, for example, and they want forty mil stone bench tops, and they don't want laminate, and they want a certain uh, height of ceiling and everything like that, and they want you know, three bedrooms plus an office and everything. Uh, we'll go and find them ex- exactly or as closely matching to their criteria within their budget that they want, uh, and we won't present them anything that doesn't suit them. We also don't take our clients to you know the Saturday open morning inspections that has you know many people looking through them. So we we uh, take our clients sort of after hours or, or during weekdays, so they've got private viewings of properties uh, that suit their criteria. So yeah, looking for a home is very different to to the investment criteria. Uh, we generally find that with a lot of our clients, they end up doing both. So they might be looking for a home, but then they end up um, buying sort of investment later on. So the whole thing still comes down to sort of what their their long term goals are. So with an owner-occupied purpose, as much as we try to separate it sometimes, there's certainly an emotional aspect to it because it's where I'm going to live, it's where I'm going to raise my family. Now looking at investment properties, it's funny, we're on this show called For the Shire, By the Shire. Why shouldn't we be buying in the Shire? Why do we, why do we now want to look in other parts of Australia? Uh, I think one of the, the biggest mistakes that people make is just buying close to where they live or close to where they know. And I think people, they like to, like if they live in the Shire, they want to buy an investment property in the Shire because they think they can drive past it and check on it. That's not really how it works because people should buy a property, they should have a competent property manager as part of their team who can actually manage uh, the property for them because you know, driving past it, I mean, you're still only allowed to inspect a property a maximum of about four times a year. So it's not as if you can just knock on the door every day and <laughs> go in and make sure that the tenants are looking after your property. Um, so that's one thing. But the other thing is, unless 
you know, the suburb in the Shire, unless Cronulla or, or unless Tarrant Point or wherever is actually the best uh, investment hotspot in the country at the moment, then yeah, you shouldn't be buying there. You should be buying uh, where where the, it's the best place to buy for your strategy, for the market, and and for your budget. Uh, and if if that's in a different city, if that's in a different state, then uh, that's that's really important because it's all about your long term goals and what you're trying to achieve. Now that we are buying an investment property, we're not tied to a certain area based on where our job is, where our family and friends are. Really, we can just look at what what are the numbers telling us? What are the numbers telling us is the best spot to buy? Where's the best growth? Where's the best yield? Um, And so, yeah, that just opens it up. And and like you said, you don't have to go by and touch the building every day and make sure it's still there. If you've got that good team, including the property manager around you, they can support you. Yeah, absolutely, Nathan. And and the thing is that I recommend that when, when we buy for a client that's in a you know, in a different city, I, I recommend them go and have a look at the property. So we inspect the property as well, but I also recommend the client inspects the property before they purchase it, but they don't need to look at it every day. Uh, and what people don't realise is that wherever they buy the investment property, they'll probably end up knowing that area better than where they live. So I reckon someone who lives in Cronulla, if I was to ask them what's the average growth rate in Cronulla or what's the vacancy rates there, they wouldn't have a clue. But once they've done the research, uh, you know, let's say they're going to buy in Morningside in Brisbane's east, and uh, and they, you know, once they've got all that data there, they'll know exactly what's happening in that suburb much more than where they actually live because they'll have all the research based around, uh, you know, why they should be buying in that, that area. So they'll actually know their investment areas much better anyway. Now let's talk about some tips for people buying a property. It's a, it's a very intimidating process. So let's just give a, a few tips for somebody out there on the weekend having a look at properties. What are some big red flags for you? What are some things that you're always trying to steer clear of when you're looking for property? Uh, look, generally staying away from main roads. I think that's a that's a big thing. So, and I think generally, and and that can go for both. Whether you're looking for an owner occupier or an investment, uh, if you're on the main road, I think that's going to um, impact future sales potential. Uh, I think most properties sell themselves pretty well when the market is is really booming. But when the market slows down, it's those ones that are not so well located that are going to struggle. Uh, and I think if you're buying a property, uh, particularly, and you're, you're looking at what sort of growth, and even a lot of people who buy as an owner occupier are thinking, yeah, I'll leverage off that property in the future. Uh, yeah, they want to get some growth on it. So stay, you know, stay away from uh, main roads and things like that. So you know, quite quite cul-de-sacs and things like that. I think it's also important, you know, if you're buying, a, for example, an investment property, uh, it's important to be buying in areas that have a lot of infrastructure and a lot of government spending. Uh, so you know, if you are venturing away from from Sydney and you're going to buy sort of in a regional area, I'd be staying away from sort of your tourist towns or mining towns that don't have many growth drivers uh, in place because they'll find that they they may have high yields, which can be attractive, but yields don't actually uh, create you know, the long-term wealth. You really need to have um, you know, the growth that's going to create that long-term wealth and you need to have a lot of growth drivers in place. So if one industry collapses, then uh, yeah, there's other things to prop up the town so that, you know, so that the property industry doesn't collapse. So we're not reliant on just one particular industry to help... Uh prop it up, whether it's mining or whether it's tourism. Um, we've got a number of different um, different job hubs there. Yeah, and I like to, to look for, uh, you know, like education, so universities, hospitals, uh, you know, those kind of things. And, and you can also, uh, you know, rent your property out. And it doesn't mean if you live, if you're near a university, it doesn't mean you have to rent your uh, property to students, but you can actually rent it to lecturers at the university or doctors uh, at the, you know, who work at the hospital. So you actually get quality tenants uh, for your properties as well. The main road one's an interesting one, and one another one to consider is even just the address of the property. So sometimes you might see a road, a 
property that's not on the Princess Highway. It might be onto a street backing onto it, and so it's a quiet cul-de-sac street. But even just the name of the of the property, if it still says Princess Highway, you may have buyers who, who won't show up to your open house when you go to sell it because they see the highway and they say, I don't want to live there. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, the, the location of the property, but even the address uh, can be crucial when looking at that one. There's another interesting one there, and that's the actual number of the house because I remember my wife and I were looking for a, a house a couple of years ago to, to live in, and it was a house, a freestanding house, but the address was 2B. So it made it sound like it was, you know, a townhouse or a duplex or something. Uh, and if you're spending a lot of money to get a, a freestanding house, then when you when you're trying to market that, it, it actually might make it sound like you're. It's not actually a, uh, you know, a proper freestanding house. So, yeah, but, uh, um, I haven't heard that one before, but I've certainly skimmed over some where the where I thought it could be a townhouse and not a not a freestanding block. So that's a great tip there. Uh, what about auctions for you when you're um, when you're buying investments? Are you going to auctions? Are you trying to steer clear of auctions? I love auctions, actually. I really love the, uh, you know, the competitive um, edge of auctions. So we don't try to steer clear of them. Obviously, we do try to get the properties secured before auction where possible. Uh, sometimes vendors you know, are not open to that, and obviously uh, sometimes they are, but you need to put on a fairly, uh, you know, fairly reasonable offer to do that. Um, but one of the important things is buyers uh, need to know what a property is really going to sell for. Uh, and, I, you know, I've had clients who have come to me and they've been missing out on auctions for a couple of years. They've come to me and then we've actually secured them a property at the next auction we've gone to. Uh, and it's simply because, yeah, people don't really understand the price guides at auctions. So if, if something says price guide 800000 uh, it basically means the property's probably going to sell for 900000 or a million. And people need to actually understand that. So it's a bit of a reality check, but when people come to me, um, I actually tell them, actually, for your budget, if your budget is 800000 we need to look at this property over here, which has a price guide of 700000 because it's probably going to go for closer to your budget. So it's a bit of a reality check, but it's also, it comes back to that education thing of really understanding what the markets are doing and what uh, the true value of properties are, which, which you can find out, obviously, just from doing a lot of research around comparable sales. Mm. Yeah, that's a great tip. We had a valuer on last week, and he spoke about comparable sales as well, and I think it's a great tip for anyone looking is have a look at that data there rather than just going off the guide, go and see what, what things are actually selling for because as a professional sitting in the industry all day, we know what a property should go for. It goes for roughly what we expect it to go for. Uh, but if, if you're coming in for the first time in 10 years to buy a property, it's uh, it's difficult to try and pick those price points. What about a, uh, a memorable sale for you? So I don't know how many properties you've, purchase now over the years, but is there one that stands out to you? Uh, in terms of a memorable sale, um, I think probably uh, some of our um, larger uh, yeah, successful duplex projects that we've actually managed for clients that have actually had really good returns. Uh, we, we actually built a duplex uh, for a client in, in Newcastle uh, about uh, probably two or three years ago. Uh, we acquired the land for about thirty or 40000 under the, the list price, which is quite good. Uh, but the, the client walked away with about $300,000 profit on that one. Uh, which was quite good. Um, it was in a market just, just before Newcastle was um, booming. What was, I think, uh, good about that one was that we actually got into the market at the right time and it wasn't just the instant equity, there was the uh, capital growth that came in at the right time. So we just got into the market at the right time. But 
what was quite good about that was is is my particular client was um, an a more elderly gentleman who actually had a fair bit of debt in other areas, and he's able to use the uh, the profits created from that duplex once he sold it to actually uh, get out of debt in some other areas that he's in. So that 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 to me stands out as being um, yeah pretty memorable from uh, from that perspective. Uh, but other than that, yeah, there's been a few auctions I've been involved in in Sydney, which um, yeah we've come away with the goods, which uh, there's you know probably few too many to go into now. But yeah, there's been some pretty exciting times. So absolutely. It's great, and again, so you, you, you're coming back to that whole thing. If there was a purpose to that, to that purchase of buying that property in, regardless of where it was, it solved a solved a problem for the client. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what it was. For. Yeah, there was a purpose there, and that was to get him out of debt. So it actually achieved exactly what he uh, wanted to do. It just had a slightly better uh, result than we'd anticipated. It's always good. I'm <laughs> sure you had a raving fan there after that one. Uh, now the books uh, come out in 2020. Why did you decide to write the book and, and tell us a bit more about it? Um, so the book's positively geared. Uh, it's not just another property investing book as such, but it's actually it's it's all about my journey as well. Uh, from when I was a teacher, uh, when I started my portfolio, uh, it's. Uh, the subtitle is How to Build a Multi-Million Dollar Property Portfolio from a 40K Deposit because uh, essentially, you know, I started with I had about 30K uh, deposit in the bank and, and got into my first property. Uh, so it's, it really is about trying to help um, mum and dad investors get into the market. Uh, while we work with a lot of clients in the Shire and, and across Sydney, uh, we also work with people who have got, you know, less borrowing power and less, uh, you know, less deposits. And we do go to, to regional centres where you can get, uh, you know, properties for, you know, sub 300K. Uh, which and you know, with minimal deposits, and uh, and we're always looking for ways that, to add value to those properties. So that that might result in a subdivision or, or a cosmetic renovation where they can actually add value, and that's a good start to their portfolio. Uh, so and, and essentially, writing the book was just about getting the message out there to sort of I guess let people know that if I can do it, so can you. So if I can do it, so can other people. Because I wasn't born. Uh, rich. I, I didn't even have, um, you know, my parents didn't even own investment properties. In fact, my dad always said, if you can't afford to pay cash for it, don't get it. So he never had any loans. So he, you know, any any property he bought, which is essentially the homes that he'd bought, he paid cash for. Uh, you know, back in the day, he had a business that uh, was was pretty good, and I guess property was cheaper. He just paid cash for it. Uh, you can't really do that that these days. So you need to be some, nice, wouldn't it? Be if you nice. could do that. But, yeah. Yeah, few few uh, zeros missing in my bank account to do that one. Uh, but uh, but essentially, yeah, uh, like in the book, I, I do sort of talk a lot about. I try to give uh, some sort of general advice and tips, and we uh, there's there's a you know section on on finance and why I advocate using mortgage brokers and why using mortgage brokers is better than just going straight to your bank. Uh, and yeah, and why using an, an accountant and, uh, and then setting up the right entity to buy in is very important. So, you know, a lot of things like that. So just sort of just general advice there. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, the, the chapter on the dream team. So that sort of is one of the last chapters. So once we've gone through a few other things, then there's, uh, you know, talk, talk about the dream team and, and the types of people you should have on that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I've got a chapter on you know, property management and how to source a good property manager because I know some people have sort of had nightmare experiences with that, but it doesn't have to be like that. So it's all it's all about getting you know giving a little bit of advice out there and hopefully hopefully just uh, you know helping people along in their journey. Thank you. That's fantastic. Well, what we'll do we'll link that um, that one below. Now you're we hear good and bad advice. You spend a lot of time at barbecues on the weekend, and I'm sure once you tell somebody that you're involved in property, they they want to pick your brain. What's the worst piece of advice that you've heard? The worst piece of advice I've heard is don't buy because the prices the property is going to crash by forty percent. 
Yes. All right. And I think the other the other thing is I'm going to hold off for six months because I'm going to I'm going to buy when the market is at the bottom of the market. And I always say to people, you can't really tell when the bottom of the cycle is because you can only tell that retrospectively. You can you only know when the market hit the bottom when it starts increasing again. So, uh, so you need to be careful of that one as well. Yeah, there's uh, everyone's waiting for this bubble to pop, aren't they? It's so um, been waiting for years. And look, I I bought my first property in 2003. And although properties back then, and I've still got that property now, by the way, and it's probably tripled in value, but back then it was still considered an expensive property and people were still saying, oh, the bubble's going to burst. Don't buy a property. You know, what are you doing? So it's the same old story. And once you've been in the game for a few years, you the same stories just keep rearing their head. Uh, and that's what I try to sort of, yeah, help, I guess, help educate my clients on. I mean, ultimately, it's people's decision whether they want to proceed or not. Uh, but just from experience, uh, you know, these bubbles and these, these big, price crashes that people keep talking about essentially don't happen. I mean, obviously, the, the cycle, the cycles need to, uh, you know, flatten out after a while. I mean, we've had such great growth in Sydney and Melbourne, certainly between 2012 and up to about 2017. It had to slow down at some point because it's not healthy to have continuous increase, but it's quite normal to have a 10 or 15% fall. And that's not a, yeah, that's just a decline of flattening out. That's not a big price crash, but there, ha- there hasn't been any 40% price falls. And the areas that they have been are the areas that you shouldn't be buying, like mining towns that, are, you know, that sort of collapsed overnight. And that comes back to buying in the right fundamentals. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, I always like looking back. There's, there's places you can go online and find old articles from the the fifties and forties, and it said the story was the same. Sydney's too expensive. You'll never be able to buy in that. Young young buyers can't get in. But uh, yet you and I would see them every day um, achieving that and getting into the market. Look, I want to thank you for coming along today and giving us your insight, um, sitting right alongside investors and being so heavily involved in property. It's been really good to hear uh, your perspective on things and clearing away all that hype and just cutting through to the, the grid of what's actually out there and some really good tips there for people buying their home. For those people out there looking at the moment and those people who are interested in property, what's this one key takeaway you've got for them today? Know your why. Really uh, have a plan and know what you're trying to achieve. Uh, because I guess it's, you know, if you're looking for a home, then that's kind of different. But uh, from an investor's perspective, don't look so much about what the markets or what people are talking about, what the markets are doing. Really look at what you're trying to achieve. You know, where do you want to be in 10 years' time? And, and what, what the markets are doing this year uh, is, is immaterial compared to where things have been, uh, where you'll be in 10 years' time. But you really want to know why you want to invest, uh, why you want to use property as the vehicle, and then get educated. Perfect. I love it, Lloyd. It's a great um, great tip there to finish on. Know your why. What's the purpose of this property and what's it helping you achieve? Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Nathan. Anytime. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision-making nor to be taken as a substitute for specific advice. Please contact Birdie Wealth to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. For more information, go to www.birdiewealth.com.au.